Good morning once again. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read through a passage together this morning as we prepare to start. But as you're turning there to 1 Peter chapter 2, just had two brief announcements to share with you. One, um, an update on my father-in-law, Pastor Joe Nava. He is now out of the hospital. He is staying with family in San Antonio where he'll be for probably the next two weeks. And then if all goes well, at the end of that time frame, he'll be flying back to El Paso. And once he gets back here, he'll have to, to see another doctor and he'll begin chemo. But the doctors are pretty optimistic right now that they were able to get most or all of the cancer. And so just continue to pray for him as he continues the healing process and then the treatment with the chemo that, that God would just do a work and continue to heal him and strengthen him. Also pray for the family and for the church there at Calvary Chapel Mission Valley. And obviously, Pastor Charlie is not here this morning. He is at home resting. He had a minor procedure done on Friday. He shared a little bit about that Wednesday night for those of you that were here. He has a, an atrial fibrillation. And so basically, in very, very simple terms, the two parts of his heart were beating differently. And so there was a minor procedure that was done on Friday to help sync those up. Um, the procedure went well. Everything is looking good. And he was just advised that he needed to take a couple of days to rest. So he is at home resting right now. He should be back in the office tomorrow. And he'll be back in the pulpit on Wednesday night. So please continue to keep him in prayer as well. But this morning, we're going to talk about loving the brotherhood in the fear of God. And so we're going to read together these few verses here, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, and we'll pray, and then we'll talk about a few things this morning. So beginning in verse 13, it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. Heavenly Father, as we come before you once again this morning, we do pray that you would anoint and fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit, that you would grant to us your understanding, your discernment, that we would be able to rightly divide your word, and I pray that you would grant to me your words and not my own, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. We also lift up Pastor Joe and Pastor Charlie to you and their families. We pray, Father, that you would continue to heal, that you would encourage, that you would comfort, Lord, that you would grant that perfect peace that passes all understanding through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we also pray for the many burdens that have been carried into this place today. Father, you know our struggles, you know our hearts, you know our challenges, but we know you and you are perfect. You're holy, you're righteous, you're just. You are the great comforter and the great healer. And so we, we just commit our lives unto you once again, and we pray that you would just encourage us, or that you would bring that peace to all of us this morning. And so we ask and pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is the beginning point here in First Peter chapter 2 for what I wanted to share with you this morning. And it's something that I believe that, that God has been working in me and working in this congregation for the last several weeks and months. And it has to do primarily with verse 17, to honor all people, to love the brotherhood, 
to fear God and to honor the king. But we read all those verses so that we can get some context to it. And the beginning of that section there could be a sermon all unto its own. To submit to the, to the laws of the land, if you will, and to submit to the government. That God has placed these people in those positions. But then he continues in verse 15 and he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And I think that that is such a powerful statement. To, by doing good, put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And it goes beyond just this. It's really in general that when we are doing good, that helps to put to silence the foolishness of, and the ignorance of foolish men. And it's not just outside the body of Christ. Sometimes it's inside the physical church because there is foolishness that takes place inside. There is ignorance that sometimes is, is readily apparent. And so it's by doing good, this is the will of God, that by doing good we may put to silence these things. And then he says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, understanding that we are servants of God. And then he gets to verse 17, to honor all people. Honor all people. It doesn't just say honor those that are nice, honor those that are Christians, honor those that are this, that, or the other. He says honor all people. To love the brotherhood, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, what is the brotherhood? To fear God and to honor the king. Now, some of you know I have an older brother named Sean Christian. He passed away before I was born. He's waiting for us in heaven. And I also have a younger brother who's two and a half years younger than me, Pastor Sam. Growing up, Pastor Sam and I didn't always see things the same way, and we definitely didn't agree on everything. And there are a ton of stories that I could tell you, some that I've already shared before, of the terrible things that we said and we did to each other. And some of them were, were actually pretty funny, and some of them were really just mean. But through all of the things that we did to each other, and through all of the lessons that we learned, one of the most important ones for both of us was that we had to learn to love each other. And that was honestly, in large part, due to fear of our parents. You know, and that's something that, that doesn't always take place nowadays, but, but we, when we were growing up, and it's something that honestly we still have to a certain degree today, there is a fear of our parents. Not a fear as a terror and they're going to do evil things to us, but a fear as we're going to see in a little bit that's similar to the fear of the Lord. It's a, an awe, it's a respect, a respect for their authority, for, for what God has done in their lives and what God is trying to do in our lives through them. And while there are many kids today that don't have that, my brother and I are extremely blessed to have been brought up that way. And I clearly remember being forced by my parents to reconcile with my brother. So we would have some kind of a disagreement, we would have some kind of a fight, we would do something dumb to each other, or maybe together. And we were told that we had to, to make up. We had to make things right. We had to reconcile. And, and I remember, still to this day, that one of the things that drove me nuts about it all, the, the thing that above everything else was so frustrating for me, wasn't the fight that we had gotten into. It wasn't the whatever had been done. It wasn't whatever my brother had done to me. It was the fact that they made us hug it out. That to me was just like the, the worst thing that could possibly happen. You don't understand what he just did to me, or I just did something to him, and I don't want to be anywhere near him, and you're going to make me hug him? What, what is up with that? But on top of that, they made us hug, and then they made us tell each other that we loved each other. And on top of that, it had to be legit. 
So if it looked fake, if it sounded fake, if it was not up to the standards of my parents, they would make us repeat the whole process all over again. And there were times that it took three or four or five times before we could get it right. And one of the things that, that I used to hate about it, that now I, I look back and, and it's such an awesome thing, is that especially when it took four or five times, by the end, we couldn't help but be laughing. And so all the, the anger and the sadness and the frustration and everything else that had taken place that had led us to that, that particular moment, all of that was erased because of the, the simplicity of really being able to tell each other, mean it, and show it that we loved each other. And it, it just melted away all of the other things. And, and that's something that, that I think is important for us in the body of Christ to recognize. And something that my dad reminded us over and over again is that friends would come and go, but that no matter what, we were always going to be brothers. And we needed to learn that. And we have, and, and it's served us both well as we've gone through the nearly 40 years of life we've enjoyed on this earth. And it's something that, that really has come to apply to an even larger brotherhood, a larger group of people, because of God's love for us and because he's made us a part of his family. So that kind of sets the table for us this morning as we get to verse 17, honor all people, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, and to honor the king. And so where I actually want to start with it is fearing God. So I'm going to give you four verses here pretty quick. The first one is Psalm 111, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And Proverbs 2, verse 5 says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And lastly, Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So the Hebrew word that's translated fear in these passages is yirah. And what this word actually means as it relates to fear of the Lord is, is more than just terror. What it includes also deeper than that is a reverential awe and respect to have a respect, a reverence, uh, a piety, to, to be able to look at, at the Lord and to not only be fearful of his awesome power in, in a terrible sense, because that is something to fear, especially and, and really primarily if you're not a believer, if you're not part of the family, because when you read through how this story ends, you see that it's going to go very, very badly for those people. But there is also this reverential awe and respect to know that God, in his amazing power, all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful, omnipowerful, omnipotent, that in his great love for us, that despite who we are and, and just how messed up we all are, that he loves us so much that he continues to want to use us, want to, to help us to live rightly, wants to help us do better, and that's all contained in that phrase, the fear of the Lord. To have that reverential awe and respect. And when we have the proper fear of the Lord in our relationship with Jesus, we find a lot of things. And this is just a, a small section of the Bible. Just a few, four few verses. But in these four verses, some of the things that, that we notice when we have the proper fear of the Lord in our relationship with God, 
in our relationship with Jesus, we find the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, and we find the knowledge of God, an understanding of the Holy One. We get to know God when we have the proper fear of the Lord in our relationship with Him. And so we really get to know Him, and it causes us, as we get to know Him more, to want to know Him even more. And it causes us to love Him even more. Because God is so amazing that honestly, the more that we know about Him, it just blows our minds that much more. And, and that's, that's the beauty of God. That's the beauty of studying His Word, is that there is always more there's always something deeper. There's always something new that God is trying to impart to us. Now, His Word is unfailing. It's unchanging. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the things that God is trying to speak to us about in our lives today are different than the things that He was speaking to our hearts about yesterday and last week and last year. And people say, well, I've read through the Bible already. Well, read through it again. When you study through the Bible, one of the things that when we are faithful to do this correctly, when we go through the Word of God time and time again, it is amazing how applicable the Bible is to our day-to-day lives. Every day, there is something for us that we can apply directly to our lives every time that we truly spend time in the Word of God. Every time that we spend with some time with God and we, we really devote that time unto Him, Every time that we come into the, the doors of a church, every time that we, we attend a Bible study, every time that we do our own personal devotion with the Lord, God is faithful to be speaking. God is faithful to be speaking. We just need to be faithful to be listening, to want to hear what it is that he has to speak to us about that day. And there have been times, I can tell you from personal experience, that I've sat through a sermon and maybe not necessarily gotten anything directly from the preacher, but God has spoken to me through some of the things, some of the passages that the, the preacher has shared that morning. Or through one of the worship songs or any number of different ways that God can speak. And so we need to be receptive to that. We need to understand that. And to know God deeper, it causes us to love God deeper. And as we recognize that love, as we experience that love, it causes some changes in us. In John chapter 15, verses 9 through 14, it says, As the Father loved me, this is Jesus speaking, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now we talk sometimes about abiding. You go to the beginning of John chapter 15, and, and what does abiding mean? And it, it's this, this big, complex word that, you know, just a few letters, but it has such a deep meaning because it's to reside in, it's to live in, it's to experience, it's to know deeply, and then to, to be able to, to stay in, to want to inhabit that place, to abide in that love. And we say, well, how do you know that you can abide in Christ? How do you know if you're in or out? Well, Jesus speaks to us right here. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things, in verse 11, I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And isn't that something that we would all love to have? That our joy would be full. That the joy of the Lord would reside in us and that our joy may be full. And he's spoken these things so that we would have that. And he says in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 
So if you want your joy to remain full, he's telling us, this is my commandment. If you abide in my love, you'll keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. So it's this circular thing. So all of that comes back to what is the commandment? And the commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love, in verse 13, has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And then jumping down to verse 17, he says, These things I command you, that you love one another. Now, we've talked before about how important it is for us to experience the love of God, and also how important it is for us to love one another, especially within the body of Christ. But these passages here begin to show us maybe a a different side of that. That there is more to it than just saying we love each other. There's more to it than just kind of cursory hugging it out. But that we need to actually mean it. In order to abide in his love, we truly need to love one another. If we're keeping his commandments, then we are faithful in this one as well to love one another. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-11, through 11, we're reminded of why we should love one another. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the payment, the price for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And it's just this reminder that we didn't deserve the love of God. The love of God is shown not that we loved him, but that he loved us. That he loved us, and he loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. That is how we become a part of the family of God. Not because God looked out and he said, you know what, I need a certain group of people, and I need people with this gift and this talent and this ability. I need people of this age. I need people of this race. I need people of whatever. That's not what it was. For God so loved the world, the entire world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God doesn't need any of us. He wants all of us. He loves each of us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. And if God so loved us, how much more should we love one another? Because we didn't do anything didn't do anything to deserve the love of God, but he gave it to us freely. So now we need to live by that example. Later on in verse 12, he says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. His love has been perfected in us. That, that is a powerful phrase, perfected in us. That his love has been perfected if we love one another. By this we know that we abide in him. Again, it's it's a question that, that many of us have at different times in our lives. How do I know if I'm really abiding? By this we know that we abide in him, verse 13, and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Just one more reminder that it's not because of our great gifts or abilities. It's not because we're so great at abiding in the love of Christ. It's because the spirit is perfect and the spirit is helping us to abide in the love of Christ. Verse 14, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And notice verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. We've known it. We've experienced it. We, we intimately know the love of God. But on top of that, we believe the love that God has for us. And I can tell you from personal experience and in seeing other people's lives that that is one of the attacks that the enemy tries to throw at us constantly. To try to get us to believe that we have done something or we've turned so far, we've fallen so, so far, so far, that we have done something that is so against what God desires for us that God can't love us, that we are unlovable. And yet, he says, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. When Paul is writing in Romans and he talks about the love of God, what can separate us from the love of God? And he goes through all these things, and what he's really saying is, there's nothing. There is nothing. There is no one, no thing that can separate us from the love of God. Once we are abiding in that love, once we've experienced it, once we've come to that saving grace, once we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we've confessed that. Now we can believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him, and God's love is perfected in us as we are loving one another. So the question this morning is, have we known and really experienced the love of God personally? And not just last week, not, not when we first got saved, not somewhere deep in the distant past, but this morning, right now, have we known and experienced the love of God today? Have we actually looked to God and said, thank you for the love that you have shown me today? Thank you for the ways that you have worked in my life already this morning. And if we have, and if we've known and experienced it, if we've recognized it, do we believe it so much so that we want to share that love with those around us? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, John goes on, he says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? In this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. So if we're loving God, we're knowing and believing that we are loved by him and confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, if we are truly children of God, then we must be loving towards our brethren. We must. There's no gray area there. There's no loopholes. There's no, but you don't understand, or it's different because there is nothing there except we must love our brother also. We must love our brother also. And something that as we begin now to talk about the brotherhood that is the body of Christ, something that, that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but we need to see here because it kind of sets it up for us, is that if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. In other words, we cannot be truly right with God if we are not right with the body. We cannot truly be in a right place with God if we are not right with the body. If we are having issues with a brother, we hate our brother, then we are not showing the love of God. And we are not only not showing it to that person, but we are also not showing that love to God. Because God's desire is that we would love each other as he has loved us. 
So the brotherhood that is the body of Christ. John writes that we are to love our brother if we truly love God. Peter writes that we are to love the brotherhood. So who is it that the authors are talking about in these passages? I think for most of us, it's a pretty obvious one. But just to lay it out for us, Paul in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28, says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, to those who are called according to the purpose of God. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That God had already prepared this way for us to be a part of his family. And that Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So Jesus is the one and only begotten Son of God. We know that. But we have been adopted into the family, and we are now brethren as well. We are partakers of that same inheritance. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now we could spend so much time just on that one section of verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. But that's an important one for you to recognize. And then he says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Notice the importance of love. And then he says in verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, that because of the work of the life of Jesus Christ, because of the price that was paid by Jesus, that God has reconciled us to himself to be partakers of this inheritance that we've been adopted into his family according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved that he made us accepted into this family that we we're part of it we are part of God's family and something that we talk about when we talk about being a part of God's family is that God doesn't have grandchildren he doesn't have nieces and nephews. He only has children. God has adopted each one of us because he loves each one of us uniquely and individually. And then in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning to talk about some of the ways that the body works, this brotherhood, this brethren of believers. It says in verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You see this verse on our bulletin covers. You see this verse on our webpage. You see this verse on, on the, the business cards that we have. Because this is what we are called to do. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up, for the growth and the maturity of the body of Christ. That is why God gave these things to the church. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to build up the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That that is what we are trying to get to, not only as individual members of the body of Christ, but the body of Christ as a whole, that we are getting to that place to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that we are growing in the knowledge of God to a perfect man, 
to measure up to the fullness of Christ. That's the bar that has been set. That we are trying to live rightly as Christ has lived. In verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Something that Pastor Charlie has been sharing about lately. And, and really it's important because there are so many that are under a strong delusion. That they are, are following after these things that are really not of God. They're not backed up by the Word of God. But that we are supposed to be above that. That we're not going to be tossed around with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But in contrast, verse 15, that we would speak the truth in love and grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Again, that's the bar that's been set. That we are trying to live up to the example that has been given to us by Jesus. But notice, it's speaking the truth in love. And that's very, very important. The whole phrase there, to speak the truth in love. I've shared many times before that when I first got involved in ministry and even on into becoming a pastor for the first years of, of being a pastor, I didn't have a problem speaking the truth. Speaking the truth was easy. If you were doing something wrong, I had no problem coming to you and telling you what you were doing wrong and to speak truthfully. My challenge was speaking the truth in love. And those things are not always the same. To speak the truth and to speak the truth in love. And a lesson that I had to learn and be taught over and over again, reminded of, and something that I, I believe that God has finally gotten through my thick skull about, is that I have to speak the truth in love. And if I can't do it in love, then I'm not the person to speak that truth into that person's life. If I cannot do it in love, then I am not the one that is called to speak to that person about what's going on in their life. If I take any kind of satisfaction in seeing someone squirm or, or making them feel like now you, now you get it because you really blew it this time, if I take any kind of pleasure in that at all, then I am definitely not the person that's supposed to be bringing that correction to bring that exhortation to be speaking the truth in love. You know, going all the way back to, to the lessons that, that my parents were teaching, my brother and I, about reconciling, about doing things rightly, that if we couldn't really, really mean that we loved each other, then we hadn't really restored. We hadn't really reconciled. And so it's important here. They, it, they're not just little words that, that God just threw out there for us. He put them in there specifically where they are, speaking the truth in love. It is not possible for us to grow up and to mature as Christians and as a body, to live up to the standard of Jesus if we can't do these things in love. But he continues in verse 16, he says, From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for what? For the edifying of itself. The edifying, the building up of the body in love. And so, there's a few more things to, to get from verse 16. The, the next one is that we need to be mindful that we are not to be isolated or alone in this thing that we call the Christian walk. We are not to be isolated or alone. We are not to forsake the fellowshipping together of the brethren. We are not supposed to, to go out and do this just by ourselves. God has knit the whole body together. 
We are joined and knit. And, and that word, to be knit together, it's not just kind of weakly tied together. To be knit is to really, really just intertwined. So much so that it would be painful to pull them apart, if not impossible. And that's what we are called to be, to be joined and knit together. And then, when we are all doing our share, when every joint is doing what it's supposed to do, this body is awesomely effective and causes tremendous growth for itself, in itself, and brings others into it. He says, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body. That when we are doing this rightly, when we are loving the brotherhood, when we are loving the brethren, when we are showing the love that God has shown to us, to those around us, we can't help but be effective in the ministry that God has called us to. And ministry, I'm not talking about being a pastor or an elder or a deacon, although that's part of it, but ministry as in what it is that God has called each one of us that is a part of the body to go out and to do. That when we are doing everything that we're supposed to, when we are supplying what we are supposed to, then the whole body benefits. The whole body grows. And it's effective, not because we're so great, but because God designed it to function that way. And God knows the frailties, God knows the faults, but God also knows the gifts that he gave to each one of us. Now the difficulty in this, when we talk about effective working, when every part does its share, is that that's not always the case, right? Because the body is not perfect, because this family is not perfect. Because each one of us is not perfect. I often share stories about Sam and I. The different things that we did is when we were kids, there were pranks and punches and kicks. There were knives. There were bats. There were flying objects. And there were sticks, stones, and there were several words that hurt a lot more than people said they should. But most of those things, even though they're still behind us, they're still things that happen in our lives where we still fail to get it right, just between him and I. Not even talking about the rest of the body of Christ, not, not talking about anything else, just two pastors that have trouble getting it right between each other. That there are still times that we fail to see eye to eye, we disagree, we, we have disagreements that, that you could probably label as fights. We still have those things. There are times when we fail to honor and love each other as we are called to do, and the challenge for us as brothers, the same as it is for all of us within the body of Christ, is to learn to truly bear with one another and to restore a rightness in that relationship. And the only way that that's possible is by coming back to the love of God. It all comes back to lo loving God. To be right with Jesus, to be right with the body. And the rightness has to be not just one-on-one, -on -one, but it has to be one with everyone. We need to be right with the entire body. Too often inside the body of Christ, we allow our failures and the failures of other members of the body of Christ, other brothers and sisters, to foul up the function of the body as a whole. When there is a failure between brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, we are presented with a choice. And this is the lesson that God has been teaching me over the last several weeks and months, and I I truly believe that this is the lesson that he is trying to teach our fellowship, is that we have a choice when there is a mistake, when there is a shortcoming, when there is a failure. And I truly believe that there are only two options. 
there are only two choices for this decision. We can either be part of the solution and we can stir up love and good works, or we can be part of the problem and we can forsake the assembling together of the body. Those are the only two choices. When there is a shortcoming, when there is a failure, when there is a disagreement, when two parts of the body are not working together, we can be part of the solution or we can be part of the problem. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And what that phrase means, let us consider one another, that's to inspect one another, to really take stock, to take account of what is going on in each other's lives. Not just a, a cursory glance, not just a, hey, how's it going, expecting good, and then walk away, but to really get to deeply understand what's going on in that person's life. Not so that we can inspect and try to find all the things that are wrong, so that we can nail each other and, and, and just tell each other how horrible we are, but he says, let us consider one another for a purpose in order to stir up love and good works comes back to speaking the truth in love. And, and I, I think that it's definitely for a purpose that he started with love before good works. He didn't say to stir up good works and love. He said to stir up love and good works. Because without that love, without being able to speak the truth in love, there's no way to get to the good works. There's no way to get to the good stuff with, by bypassing the love of God. It really has to start there. It has to start, obviously, with us experiencing that love because if we haven't experienced that love, then we're not a part of the family yet. But then, as we continue to grow in that love, we need to continue to share that love and to stir up that love in each other. We are all imperfect. We all go through difficult times. We all fail. We all need encouragement. We all also need correction. But we stir up love and good works when we consider one another. And then he, he gives the flip side in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, challenging one another, motivating one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So the body functions as a sum of its parts. And if one part of the body is ailing, then we need to come alongside that part of the body. If we have been wronged, we need to, to come alongside that part of the body that has wronged us. And we need to reconcile. There's a book that, that sits on the shelf in, in our library. It says, Why Should I Be the First to Change? And it's a very small book, and it's something that, that oftentimes we use when someone's going through a, a marital struggle. But it, it really is even bigger than that. It's really just brothers and sisters in Christ. Why should I be the first to change? Well, the, the answer to that question is very simple, because you're not perfect either. Why should I be the first to change? Because I'm not perfect. And I can't pretend to be. And when, when we pretend to be perfect, we're messing things up even more. When we pretend that, that whatever has been done to us, that we don't have the same capacity to foul it up and to mess up somebody else's life in a, the same or even a different way, we are lying to ourselves, we're lying to the body, and we're lying to God. We have to be able to recognize this. And we exhort one another, we build each other up, we stir up love and good works. Did you know that there is no individual member of the body that can fulfill every need of the body? There is no one that has been super gifted, so much so that they can meet every single need 
that comes up in the body. I am extremely thankful that God has gifted me in the various ways that he's gifted me. But even beyond that, I am extremely thankful that God has not gifted me with every gift possible. Because I mess up just with the gifts that I have. I can't always be faithful to use the gifts that I've been given to their fullest. Imagine how much further away from perfection I would be if I had all the gifts. There's just no way possible. I don't have the energy. I don't have the stamina. I don't have the time. Even if the the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. There's no way that I could meet every single need of the body. There is no way that any individual can. And it's unfortunate, but sometimes we, we look to different people and we expect that from them. We expect that from each other. We look sometimes, especially to our senior pastors, and we look at, at the, the senior pastor and we think, well, he didn't meet this need that I have. Well, let's back that boogie train up a little bit and let's see if maybe he was really called to meet that need. Just because we have a need doesn't mean that, that we get to pick the person that meets that need. God is the one that picks it. We're going to see in a little bit that God's the one that has, that has set up this whole body, set up this whole family. And we need to respect what God has done, the work that God has done, the, the work that God is preparing. God, in his infinite wisdom, supplied each individual member of the body with what we need to be able to be effective as a body, to be able to heal the hurts and the wounds of the body to be able to come together as one and be whole. And this brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we're going to spend the remainder of our time together this morning, when he talks about the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll begin in verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the the first thing that I want us to get here is the spiritual gifts. That Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth, but he's also writing it for our benefit, that we would not be ignorant about the spiritual gifts. So that we would know a few things about the spiritual gifts. So then he continues in in verse 4. He says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For the profit of all. That's an important one that we catch. Sometimes we start running through and, oh, well, God's given this, God's given this, God's given this. But he has given to each one for the profit of all. He didn't give any one of us a spiritual gift for our benefit and our benefit alone. He gave those things to us for the benefit of the body. For the benefit of the body. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, in verse 8. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. 
And so as we see here, God has given all of these different things, but he hasn't given them all to one person. He's given them, he's spread them out across the body. Now that doesn't mean that you can't have multiple, but it means that no one has them all. And it doesn't say in there that everyone has to have one of these particular ones. It doesn't say that, that if, and this is the one that, that gets overblown a lot. Nowhere in that passage can you build a case that says the Word of God requires that every child of God be able to speak in tongues. There are churches out there that teach that. I was talking to a lady last night, and she said, you know, it was, it was such an encouragement to be able to read that in the Word of God. Not because it was something I said, but because something that God put in His Word, because she had been to a, a friend's church, and at that church, they had been told flat out that if you cannot speak in tongues, then you may not be a part of the body of Christ. But that's not what it says. It says to one has been given this, to another has been given this, to another has been given this, and speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues, that's in there. That's in the list. It's not in the list of every child of God gets this. It's in the list that says some have been given, some have been given, others have been given. We need to recognize that. But then he says, but one and, and the same spirit, verse 11, works all these things. So each one of us has different gifts, but the same spirit, the spirit of God, is the one that is working all these things together for the profit of all. And he distributes to each one individually as he wills. Not as I will, not as my pastor wills, not as my church fellowship wills, but as the Spirit wills. The Spirit of God is the one that determines what gifts and abilities He passes out to each individual member of the body, and He does it as He sees fit without input from me. It's important that we see that. He does it as He wills. In verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Again, the, the reaffirmation of the fact that we are not called to do this on our own, that we are all important to God, and he has brought us all together to be a part of his body. The body is not one member, but many. In verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member... Where would the body be? In other words, if we were all the same, what good would that be? The body has been prepared, has been designed, has been created for the effective working of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's been designed by God himself. He has set everything up. And sometimes, again, it gets lost on us that God chose the gifts that he gave to each one of us, and when we use those gifts that we have been given in a way that honors him, it shows him how much we love him. It shows him how much we trust him. 
Conversely, on the other side, when we fail to use our gifts properly or when we're striving to use gifts that God has not given to us, it actually shows the opposite. It shows a lack of love and respect and trust in God. Because Paul has laid it out clearly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that each member of the body has been given what he's been given for the effective functioning of the body as a whole. And God designed it. God prepared it. In effect, when we're not, not accepting the, the task and the responsibility and the gifts that God has laid into our lives, what we're saying is that we believe that we know better than God how to make this thing called the body function the best. And really, to be totally clear about it, what we're really saying is that God would be so much better off and the body as a whole would be so much better off if he realized what a steal he was getting when he chose me. I mean, that's really what we're saying, is that God needs to get it together to get with the program and to recognize that he needs to pour out some more gifts or some different gifts, some better gifts, on me because I'm worthy of it. That's what, in effect, we'd be saying. Because God chose, God in his perfection decided, this is what I want you to do, this is what I want you to be, and this is where I want you to go, and I want you to do it all for my glory and for my honor, not for your glory and for your honor. I want you to do it for me. Because you trust that I know what I'm doing and that I love you. And that I, I'm perfect. And that I have designed this body perfectly. But Paul continues on in verse 20. He says, Now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body. Again, just reiterating over and over that God is the one that designed this. God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which, that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism, no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. So God composed this body, in verse 24, in such a way that it would not only function properly, but also so that it would not fall apart. That's what verse 25 is saying, that there would be no schism, no division in the body, that there would be no removal of this knit that has taken place. So in other words, the, the schisms, the divisions, the, the battles that take place in the body, they're most often a direct result of individual members of the body of Christ not showing the love of God for one another. And where do I get that from? I get that from verse 25 because he says that there would be no schism in the body, but in contrast, the members should have the same care for one another. So what he's saying is that, that if you don't want it, the body was not designed for division, in contrast to division, the members should have care for one another. The members should love one another. He continues in verse 26, he says, If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And what a difference it would make if we would all take the time, every time that we have a disagreement inside the body of Christ, to recognize the health and the vitality that is found in verse 26. 
If one member of the body suffers, all the members of the body suffer with it. What he's saying here is that when one of us hurts, we should come alongside that particular member of the body and we should bear that burden together. That means that in things like the, the two prayer requests that we shared at the beginning of the, our time together today or for Pastor Joe and Pastor Charlie, we need to be coming alongside. We need to bear that burden together. We need to be lifting them up in prayer. We need to be concerned about their well-being. Not just because they're senior pastors, but because they're parts of the body of Christ. The same that we should be concerned about the things that are taking place inside this body. The hurts, the pains, the sorrows, the struggles, the difficulties. We need to be concerned about what's going on with each other. And not just here inside of Calvary Chapel of El Paso, but the body of Christ as a whole. You know, as he gets to rejoicing, he says, when one of us is honored, we should all be rejoicing. One of the best parts for me about that seminar that we had a, a few weeks ago with Elijah Abraham, the, there was a ton of great information and I learned so much. But for me, one of the highlights of that weekend was getting to watch that video that showed the body of Christ in, I believe it was Albania, and the baptism worship service that they had together. And to see how joyful they were and, and the rejoicing that was taking place as they were baptizing people in a small bathtub because that was the only thing that they could get to. There was the only way that they could baptize them, but the excitement, but also the, the beauty of the pastor getting in their face and asking them questions passionately and then talking to Elijah about it afterwards. And what, what was it that he was telling them? And he was asking them directly, do you really want to do this? Do you understand that this could cost your life? Do you know the, the consequences that could come along with this profession of faith? And to see them joyfully, with smiles on their faces, passionately saying yes, yes. And then to watch them baptized. Those are things that, that we should rejoice about as a body of Christ. That should give you pins and needles. It should make the hair on the back of your neck stand up because of the beauty of what God is doing in the body of Christ. And it's not just over there. It's not just across the ocean. We should be aware of the things that God is doing in this fellowship, in this body. It's good that we, we submit prayer requests. I, I think that that's an important thing that we do in the body of Christ. But something that is overlooked and is just as important is to submit praise reports. I can't tell you how many times we've been praying for something and it's months, sometimes years later, and we don't even find out from the person that sent the prayer request. We, we find out from three or four people down the line, hey, did you know that so-and-so had this happen? And wow, that's amazing, because when we were praying, it was not looking that promising, and yet God has done so much in that time frame. And that is an encouraging thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's something we need to take advantage more of. We need to be faithful with the praise reports as well as the prayer requests. It's an encouragement. It builds up the body. It stirs up love and good works when we do that. But I can't tell you how many times a failure in one of these two areas, either in not coming alongside the body when it, a person is suffering, or in not rejoicing with a part of the body that's being honored or being blessed, failures in those two things lead to so many people that leave a church. Sometimes even leave the body of Christ as a whole, but specifically leaving churches. Someone's going through a difficult time in their life, and the body, the leadership, maybe even the pastors, they failed to reach out enough. They failed to be there. 
They failed to do whatever it was to meet the need that was so readily present. And that happens. It's unfortunate. I wish I could tell you that we were perfect. I wish I could tell you that, like, like I was sharing before, that, that I had every spiritual gift and that I could meet every need. I wish I knew every need and was able to meet every need, but I can't. As a pastoral staff, even together, we can't. But as a body, we can. As a body, we can meet every single need that comes up within the body because God has gifted us in that way. And not because he needs us, not because he couldn't do it on his own, but because he loves each one of us so much that he wants us to be a part of his ministry here on the earth. That he wants us to be a part of it, not just to go out and to save the lost, but also to stir up love and good works, to build up the body, to heal the body. So we have that choice. Are we going to be part of the solution to stir up love and good works? Are we going to come alongside and say, you know what? This happened to me. The body failed me in this. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask God to help me make sure that this doesn't happen to any other part of that body. That's the choice. That, that should be the response. When we are hurt, we need to definitely reconcile. We need to, to speak the truth in love. We need to let... Let people know that there was a hurt, there was a pain. But then we need to be a part of the solution, fixing it so that it doesn't happen to anybody else. Not just saying, you know what, I've been hurt, I've been burned, I'm done, I'm out. No, I need to be a part of making sure that this doesn't hurt anybody else. That's how the body functions effectively. The same thing, there are times inside the body where we have the opportunity to rejoice in what God is doing in or through someone. And one of the most obvious examples that oftentimes leads to people leaving churches is when someone is promoted to a position of leadership. It's not so much that they've been promoted. It's just that, that somebody has to do things. You know, people say, well, you know, I wish I could be this. I wish I could be that. You know what? I, somebody asked me the other day, when did you decide that you wanted to be a pastor? It was a, a love-hate relationship with that desire. Because from, from a very early age, I wanted to be a pastor, then I didn't want to be a pastor, then I wanted to be a pastor, then I didn't want to be a pastor. And a lot of it had to do with people. A lot of it had to do with people. And seeing the way that pastors were treated sometimes, not because we're, I'm trying to, woe is me and woe is the pastor, but there are some terrible things that happen towards pastors. We make mistakes. We blow it. I blow it probably more than some of the other guys. But we make mistakes. And... We, we have to repent from those. We have to seek forgiveness. We have to be restored. But sometimes we're not forgiven. There are people that, that, that I know. There are people that, that are still in this church today that, that try to cause divisions in this body, telling everybody that they can meet. Every, oh, you're a visitor? Hey, let me tell you about Pastor Sean and all the terrible things that he's done. And you're like, what in the world? What, what did I... How did this come about? And I know. I know those people. And I'm not the only one. There are other, other people that talk about other pastors, other elders, other deacons, other people that, that are just involved in ministry that are doing something. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying to rejoice in all good things. I wish I could tell you why God called me to be a pastor. There are many days that I wake up and I wonder why. And there are even more days where I go to bed wondering, I really blew it. How in the world, why did you call me to do this? But it's God in his wisdom. God in his wisdom. 
Not because I'm perfect, not because Pastor Charlie's perfect, or Pastor James, or Sam, or Tom, or Fred, or any other pastor, or any other elder, or deacon, or any other person in the body of Christ. There's only one, and that's Jesus. He's the bar that we're trying to live up to, but knowing full well that none of us can, and none of us have been gifted with all those things. Believe me, when your need is not met inside the body, it's not because we don't want to meet it. Sometimes it's because we didn't know, we didn't recognize. Sometimes it's because we weren't gifted with the ability to meet that need. But you are loved. Pastor Charlie's heart for you, one day I hope to have that same kind of love. I am trying. I love you guys deeply. Even the ones that, that have hurt me, I have, I have come to a place where I can love and, and I can support and be there. Pastor Charlie, it's like a whole other level of love that he has for you. And it's something that he's exhibited to me personally. I have blown it. I have failed him. I've messed up in ministry. I've messed up before I was in ministry. I've messed up outside of ministry while being in ministry. And he has continued to show love, to show the love of God, to stir up love and good works. He's considered my life. He evaluates it to stir up love and good works, to speak the truth in love. And we need that. We need that. And every single part of the body is important. Every single part of the body is important. And every single need in the body, every single need that needs to be met, God has prepared a part of the body to meet that need. We need to be faithful in those things. And so as we close today, I just want to share a couple of thoughts with you and then two, two passages of Scripture. God wants his body to be effective. I think that's pretty obvious. There, there's nothing that God does just by chance or happenstance or he does it so that it's going to be ineffective. So God designed the body, so obviously he wants it to be effective. In order for the body as a whole to be effective, each member has to be joined and knit together. We need to be walking in a right relationship with each other and we need to use the individual gifts and abilities that God has given to us for the benefit of the body as a whole. To be able to do that, to fully use each member's gifts and abilities, each member has to be healthy and whole. And to be healthy and whole, that means that we need to be loved and to be loving. And so loving the individual members of the body is absolutely, unequivocally, a part of having a right relationship with Jesus. And it is part of fearing God. When he says to honor all people, to love the brotherhood, to, to fear God, to honor the king, that's what he's talking about, is, is that we need to do this thing called the body right. And I believe that it's summed up in these two passages, and then we'll close in prayer. John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And the passage that we started with, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, to honor all people, to love the brotherhood that is the body of Christ, to fear God with a righteous, reverential awe and respect, and to honor the King. And if we can do that, if we can love each other, this body is going to be effective, and it's going to do amazing things, not for its own glory, but for the glory of God. Amen.